Police House would rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I am your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Wednesday to you. It's time to get started previewing the Bills matchup this coming Sunday with the Denver Broncos. And to do that, I'll be joined momentarily by the host of Locked On Broncos, Cody Rourke, to get his perspective on the game. And as always, I'm quite interested in the type of questions uh, the opposing host has in mind for what they're curious about regarding the Buffalo Bills. So you, of course, get a chance to hear uh, his questions for me and how I answered those. But uh, before we get started, I do want to mention here that the, there was some reports on Tuesday uh, afternoon that the Bills were working out several offensive linemen, including Brian Mahalik, Sam Young, Caleb Beninak, Corey Robertson, and Austin Pazder. Um, obviously we don't know exactly the extent of Ty and Secchi's injury, but this is a pretty good indicator that Buffalo is preparing to make a roster move. Um, and unfortunately it looks like Nsecki going to be lost for some time. Uh, McDermott did not comment specifically on what's going on with the injury on Monday per usual, but I'm guessing we're going to get an update on Wednesday uh, regarding his status, and potentially there could be a new member on the 53-man roster. Um, and these are all offensive tackles. None of them are overly exciting. I think Mahalik is maybe the most interesting because he has some experience. Same with Corey Robinson. I've seen enough Sam Young playing football in my life to realize that that would be not great. I was kind of disappointed to not see Santrell Henderson among the list of guys that they were bringing in. He was just cleared. Um, from the uh, the injured list with the Houston Texans. And, you know, I'm not counting on Sontrell to come in and, you know, redefine the right tackle position for the Buffalo Bills, but I think he's more interesting than these names and somebody that's, um, I feel, somewhat comfortable playing uh, if Cody Ford were to go down. And you have to think that the Bills are in trouble here because the, the, Ty Insecki, not only the Bills' best starting right tackle, but the true backup to Deion Dawkins at left tackle. And, if he goes down, if Dawkins goes down, God forbid, I'm guessing Ryan Bates is your new left tackle on the Buffalo Bills. And I mean, I like Ryan Bates as much as the next guy, but you know, there's going to be some physical limitations that we cannot overlook with that possibility. So ideally, everyone just stays healthy and Cody Ford emerges as a great right tackle for the Bills. Uh, but uh, something we definitely are concerned with and going to monitor here over the next few days is exactly what happens. So, um, the Bills' offensive tackle situation, a situation of great strength when Adrian Waddle was part of the mix. And, you know, worst-case scenario, you had guys like Connor McDermott in the wings. But uh, this is a different situation here uh, at this point in the season with Nseki injured, with Waddle injured, with uh, McDermott cut, and a men- member of the Jets. I'm guessing there was probably some hope that they could sneak him through waivers and stash him on the practice squad for this moment. But... You know, the Jets signed him, and you know, the Bills didn't have that opportunity. So uh, depth getting a little thin there at offensive tackle for the Bills. Coming right up next is going to be my conversation with Cody Rourke, host of the Locked On Broncos podcast. But first, I need to tell you about our sponsor, Blue Chew. 
Uh, remember the days when you were always ready to go. Now you can increase your performance and get extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this just isn't for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. BlueChew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay 5 bucks for shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code Locked On to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. We thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Joe Marino of Locked On Bills, joined now by Cody Rourke of Locked On Broncos to preview Sunday's game between the Buffalo Bills and Denver Broncos. And, Cody, the first thing I want to ask you here is get into your head a little bit about Vic Fangio, the new head coach of the Denver Broncos, 10 games into his tenure as head coach. Uh, what are some of your biggest takeaways? You know, I say with Vic Fangio, some of the biggest takeaways is the fact that he's undergoing a culture change right now. He's trying to install his culture within the Broncos organization, which, you know, Joe, since the Broncos won Super Bowl 50 back in 2015, they've kind of plummeted a little bit in terms of culture. They've had good players, but they haven't had the complete buy-in from the players in terms of the coaching staff since Gary Kubiak stepped down after the 2016 season. Now the players are starting to buy into what Vic Fangio has brought in for this team, accountability, being on time, and discipline and attention to detail. That's something that the players have really liked about him. And, uh, you know, obviously three and seven is not the ideal start to his tenure as head coach for the Broncos. But overall, the players and I'd say fans are optimistic about what this team can become. I mean, he pulls no punches. He does a great job with the defense, despite the fact they gave up a really big lead in Sunday's loss to the Vikings. Uh, you know, there's some optimistic things with the Broncos. It is a first year. And so obviously it's going to take some time, Joe, in terms of culture change. But right now things are kind of trending upwards and for the Broncos in terms of culture, organization, and obviously with the coaching staff. People are very excited about it, but also fans are also upset about the 3-7 and seven record. So, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too in the National Football League, and uh, they're trying to figure things out. Let me ask you, you mentioned the 3-7 and seven start. Uh, what were kind of the expectations for this football team in 2019? I know Joe Flacco was the scheduled starter, and his injury plays into things a bit, but – was this a team people thought could hover around 500? Was their playoff aspirations kind of let us know what those expectations were entering the year? Yeah, you know, great question there. I think one of the biggest expectations, you know, from from fans and I think from the organization is to see the Broncos get back to being a competitive football team. They had a lot of talented pieces in 2018, 2017 defensively, but they weren't competing in games. They were getting blown out in some fashion. We even talked about the last match of the Broncos had with the Bills. Uh, you know, they didn't compete very well in that game, uh, especially late in the game when the Bills ended up winning. Uh, but overall, the Broncos have gotten back to being competitive defensively. They've tra- transform from struggling the first couple of weeks of the regular season to being a top five defense now in the National Football League alongside the Bills uh, when we talk about this matchup. Uh, I'd say overall, the offense has kind of failed to live up to expectations with the running game with Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman. You would expect that this team's identity was built for running the ball. They haven't been able to do that you know, quite well, You know, finding yourselves trailing in a game. You can't run the ball. Uh, so they've gone to pass in the game quite a bit. And uh, you know, Joe Flacco, 
didn't work out for them in terms of their scheme with first-year offensive coordinator Rich Scangerillo. They have not been able to find consistency. Now things have been up and down. Brandon Allen now at the quarterback for the Broncos. A lot of questions. When is Drew Locke going to play? I mean, right now this Broncos offense is a big question mark. They have the big play capability potential as we saw in Sunday's game against Minnesota. But right now the consistency is the word that is hindering them uh, from being successful long-term. And so they're still trying to find their identity as a football team. And, uh, you know, going against a tough Bills defense this week, it's going to be a really exciting matchup to see how they respond from such a big loss where, you know, they were up 20 to zero at halftime. They ended up getting outscored 27 to three in the second half. Not a good formula for them. And uh, they're trying to figure things out. But the expectation was that they weren't going to be a playoff team in 2019. The hope is that they could be a playoff team in 2020 or maybe even 2021. It's going to take some time when I go back and talk about culture change. Brandon Allen, the starting quarterback for the Broncos, he's got two starts under his belt. He's a six-round pick from the Jaguars in 2016. What have you learned about him in two games so far, and can you fill us in on Drew Locke? I know that you know Vic Fangio had some interesting comments about him through the media earlier you know, in preseason. Is he part of the, the mix here? Could we see him? What's his status with this team? And, of course, you know, tell us what we can expect uh, to see from Brandon Allen. Yeah, Brandon Allen, you know, if you would have told Broncos country uh, before Drew Locke had gotten hurt in the preseason that Brandon Allen would at some point in 2019 be the starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos, people would have been like, who is Brandon Allen? Uh, you know, the Broncos liked a lot of what they saw from him in the preseason with the L.A. Rams. They played against him firsthand. They saw what he could do. Rich Gangarello liked him. And so when they were able to snag him after all the roster cuts in the preseason, they put him on the roster as Joe Flacco's backup, given the fact that Drew Locke had that thumb injury that kept him on IR for the first part of the season. Now, Brandon Allen, what we saw in his first game against the Cleveland Browns, we saw a guy that used his mobility in Rich Gangarillo's system to be able to extend plays. You know, and granted, the Browns defense, they're up and down. They have a lot of talent, but overall, they've struggled in, in terms of being consistent, something the Broncos know very well. And you know, he was able to make some of the throws that Joe Flacco wasn't able to make, especially on the play action, the bootleg, uh, being able to make those quick throws, dump offs to the tight end in the flats. He was able to make those throws in comparison to what Joe Flacco was unable to do. Now, he came back down to earth a little bit against the Minnesota Vikings, who, you know, the top defense in the National Football League. And look, he's got to go against another top defense in the NFL with the Buffalo Bills this upcoming Sunday. Uh, you know, he took some chances. There were a couple bad throws that he had had. Um, overall, consistency was just not there. Play calling in the second half for the Broncos, didn't help Brandon Allen. Uh, but there were several plays that he made where he, he connected the ball into some tight windows, and and really that's what the Broncos had. They were able to move the chains with Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick, and it, you know, it was fun to watch. But uh, you know, more than likely, we won't see Brandon Allen finish the season of the Broncos starting quarterback, which transitions me to Drew Locke. Now, right now, the Broncos, they want to see what they can get out of their second-round pick. More than likely, Vic Fangio said in the media that you know they are not going to look at activating him possibly this week, meaning that Brett Rippon will more than likely be the back up to Brandon Allen Sunday against the Bills, but maybe next week when the Broncos prepare for the Los Angeles Chargers at home, the expectation if the Broncos lose this game to the Bills, we can see Drew Locke as early as next week, and if not, we can see him as late as the Detroit Lions game here in just a few weeks as December approaches on. Uh, so really, the Broncos want to see the progress. In terms of practice, Brandon Allen's been getting majority of the reps. He averaged about 39 offensive snaps per practice. Drew Locke gets about 10 of those, so you know, small sample size but the Broncos overall, they want to see what they have with their future second-round pick. And if he's not the guy, then they're going to look for the NFL draft this year with a very good quarterback class. 
just to backtrack here for a minute, because I think the Broncos are coming off a pretty fascinating game. Like you mentioned, 20 to nothing lead at halftime. The final score, 27 to 23. Vikings come back. Would like to know what went into Denver establishing that lead. What went into them relinquishing the lead? And based on what you know about this team through 10 games, how do you think they respond to this against Buffalo on Sunday? Obviously, without getting too much into the weeds here, kind of a high-level answer. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So for the first half, the Broncos, they were able to throw the ball. I mean, they were just throwing it up to Cortland Sutton, who was having a really good day against Xavier Rhodes in coverage. He was able to catch some really tough passes, put the Broncos in good field position. Brandon McManus converted 12 points in terms of field goals. Uh, that helps give yourself a little bit of a cushion there. Andy Janovich, the Broncos fullback, was able to power in a one-yard rushing touchdown after the Broncos defense had forced a couple of turnovers. So defensively, the Broncos, they capitalized off of turnovers by the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings able to get some stops, take them out of field goal range, and obviously generating five sacks on Kirk Cousins helped them out in that regard there. One of the other areas that helped them offensively was the fact that they were able to convert in the red zone and they were able to make the most of some of their drives rather than them stalling out, which we saw them stall out in the first half of the season offensively. Now in the second half, it was a completely different story. The Broncos, they were unable to get to Kirk Cousins in the second half. Kirk Cousins began throwing the ball quick passing game, something that's hurt the Broncos all year long. He was able to connect with Stephon Diggs and, and BC Johnson and, and Rudolph as well. And they were able to find success with the quick passing game. And they were shredding the Broncos for eight to nine yards of pop on passes, converting on third and five. They were able to make the most of those situations. Even the, the Vikings went for it on fourth down several times. The Broncos defense was unable to stop them. That kind of played a big role into it defensively for Denver. Offensively, they got too cute with the play calling a little bit as the game got on in the late in the third quarter early in the fourth quarter they try to tie it end and around play with uh, Noah Fant, who, you know, you doing your work with the draft coverage and everything that you do at the draft network. You know, he's a guy that's physical, but not too fast. He's not a guy that does that burner speed to be able to run off the edge. And uh, that was something that hurt the Broncos. He lost negative yardage on it. It forced him into a third and long. At that point, they were only able to convert on third down. They did have a chance late in that game with the final 10 seconds of the game, two plays going into the end zone, incompletions. And uh, really, the Broncos just gave this one away. They were unable to do what was working for them in the first half. They went away from the game plan. They, they went more conservative rather than aggressive. And, uh, you know, it was a recipe that I think they're going to learn from. It's been a theme of them all season long. And I think when you look at the Bills matchup, they can't afford to do that against them either. Looking at Brandon Allen's supporting cast, I know Cortland Sutton is, is the true number one receiver, having a great year, 800-plus receiving yards already, four touchdowns. Been very consistent when you look at his game log. Tell us about the other offensive weapons that the Bills will need to account for. I know you mentioned Noah Fant, but you know that freeman Lindsay duo was uh, a big talking point last year. What, what do the Bills have to deal with here offensively uh, with the weapons Brandon Allen has? Yeah, you mentioned Cortland Sutton. He's the number one wide receiver for Denver. He was making plays, but really the story of the Vikings game for the Broncos was the fact that they found a number two wide receiver after they had traded Emmanuel Sanders away. This was something that the Broncos were trying to figure out the last couple of weeks. They just got back wide receiver Tim Patrick, who came off IR with a broken hand. He was one of the stars in Sunday's loss to the Vikings, uh, having over 60-plus yards receiving and being a big red zone threat. So now you got to account for Tim Patrick as another receiver 
receiving option. No more. It's just Cortland Sutton. You have two sizable wide receivers, six foot plus, that are able to make the, those jump ball catches. And uh, you got to hope that Noel Fan can maybe create some opportunities across the middle of the field as well against the safeties, maybe against inside linebackers and those soft spots against zone coverage. And, uh, you know, outside of that, you got to look at Royce Freeman, Philip Lindsay out of the backfield as receivers. The Broncos, they get into a tendency where they go more pass happy and they go away from the run game when they should keep running the ball downhill that sometimes they try to go outside and defenses have done a really good job of kind of shutting that down. So I would say tendency wise, those are some of the weapons you got to keep an eye on, but maybe an X factor here, Joe, to keep an eye on for the Broncos as a receiving threat would be uh, Deontay Spencer, who's more of a gadget type player. They use him on jet sweeps. They're trying to get him involved in the game a little bit more. So keep your eye out for those guys in this matchup. A lot of size, you know, like you mentioned, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, Noah Font. Those are those are some towering targets there that uh, Denver challenges you with. Shifting gears to the defense, that's kind of what this team's known for, one of the better units in the league. Uh, what do they do really well? And if you were going to attack this Denver defense, what would you do? Well, first off, I would attack anybody opposite of Chris Harris Jr. at the cornerback position. Devontae Harris, a guy the Broncos had picked up this offseason, uh, you know, he came in and he had a good couple of weeks for the Broncos. Last week against the Vikings, B.C. Johnson was having a field day against him. He, you know, was matched up on Stephon Diggs on one play, got beat for a 45-yard pass. He ended up getting benched in this matchup. Isaac Yadam, who's had his struggles, you, you know, going back to the draft network coverage, I remember you guys talking about Yadam quite a bit out of Boston College, and uh, he's kind of had his struggles this year, but he filled in relatively well. But the Broncos, they've been hurting without Bryce Callahan all season long. So really, they're very inexperienced in the secondary position at corner opposite of Chris Harris Jr. They've had some really nice additions with Kareem Jackson at strong safety, Justin Simmons at free safety. But then they've also had a little bit of coverage issues with Duke Dawson playing that nickel corner spot for them as well. So if I were the Bills, I would look to maybe you know capitalize on some of those matchups with the tight end, maybe get Colt Beasley across the middle of the field, matched up against Duke Dawson, uh, you know, a speedy guy that's what they have to try to utilize there and I wouldn't be surprised too if you know the Broncos you know try to stiffen up on the pass a little bit that's where Frank Gore could come in and maybe hurt the Broncos in the run game so they got to really account for everybody this week and not to mention the fact that you know we talk about Josh Allen he can get out of the pocket and make plays with his legs as well so really the Broncos are playing a different kind of opponent this week and uh, you know you can't overlook them and uh, you know respect all fear none but this Bills team is so different in 2019 what we've seen the last two years so definitely going to be an exciting challenge. And that Chris Harris John Brown matchup is <clears throat> that's going to be a fun one. You know, it's a type of corner that I think is built to to defend a, a John Brown and John Brown obviously leading the AFC in receiving yards. That will be uh, that'll be a lot of fun there. Um, just kind of summing up the the Denver's perspective on this game. What are some of those X factors that come to mind? You think offense, you think defense. I know you mentioned uh, Deontay Spencer. Any others that come to mind when you think about X factors in this game? Yeah, you know, I hate to say it. I hate to be this guy, but we talk about the game being a three-phases game. Special teams has to be big for the Broncos. Brandon McManus missed a key 41-yard field goal against the Vikings late in that fourth quarter. Uh, it could have made a difference on that final drive where the Broncos, they could have possibly kicked a field goal to win the game if he would have converted on it. He's got to play better, and they also have to get more production out of the punt team. You know, Colby Wadman has averaged 35 yards per punt in his last three punting attempts. Not very good, especially on the road. You know, you did that in a dome. Well, now you're to be at a loud, raucous stadium where the Buffalo Bills and the Bills Mafia, they're going to be loud. It, you know, it's going to be crazy there. You got to be able to flip field position. And I'd say really a wild card for this game is if the Broncos special teams units can place the Bills offense in 
you know, some compromising positions. Uh, you know, I think it gives the Broncos defense more of an advantage to be able to send different disguised looks at Josh Allen to maybe slow them down or maybe to create turnovers. But, you know, they got to be very special in special teams, as cliche as it may sound. I'm a big, the listeners of Locked On Bills know I'm a big special teams guy. So you are speaking my language there. Don't anticipate a lot of points in this one. This could be like a 13 to 6, 10 to 7 type game. Uh, with uh, with two really good defenses, and I'm anxious to see how Josh Allen stacks up against uh, Vic Fangio, who's one of the best defensive minds in the game. Attention, past, present, and future MyBookie players. During Thanksgiving week, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, congratulations. You've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations as well. My bookie will give you your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It's no risk, all gravy. Doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. My bookie welcomes all to come play. So quit waiting around and sign up today. Do you find yourself wanting to sports bet but have lots of questions? Don't sweat it. My bookie's patient customer service team can walk you through the process. And the best part is, if you join this Thanksgiving week you'll still have one last shot to take advantage of the incredible sign-up offer. Just log on to mybookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code LOCKEDON and mybookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll. And that's on top of the risk-free bet. Let me repeat, that's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for Thanksgiving only. So if you're a true football fan, you don't want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply cannot lose. Make sure you do your part to support your team this season. Hop on the gravy train and get in on the action with my bookie. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, Joe, you know, we spent a lot of the first half of the segment talking about the Broncos and maybe what we could expect from them. But I want to get your perspective on the Buffalo Bills. This has been a team that when I've been following them, this season it seems different than any other season. They're much more competitive. We know their defense has been strong for the last couple of seasons. And the biggest question had to do with quarterback. But I would say the one thing I want to start off with here, we take a look at Sean McDermott entering his third season as a head coach for the Bills. This is a guy that's experienced a lot of fire, a lot of criticism over the last couple of seasons. To you, in terms of observing what this Bills team has done, sitting at 7-3, and three, what has been the most noticeable change that you've seen in McDermott's approach with the team this season to help them get to a 7-3 and three record through the first 10 games of the season? I think McDermott's been a very steady hand, a good leader, a guy that's established and built culture in Buffalo. And I think this year, more than any of this previous two, you feel like culture is, in a lot of ways, the reason the Bills are winning game. His record as head coach in one score game is absolutely tremendous. And you've seen this team come from behind several times this year. Josh Allen, a guy that has a lot of game-winning drives and fourth-quarter comebacks, under his resume. And I think what that really is, is an indicator of good culture where, you know, love is a word that is not, uh, not foreign to the bills locker room. Those guys love each other. They love playing for each other and they love representing the community. And when you need key things to happen in key moments, that is oftentimes a, a differentiator. It's something that uh, an environment's been created for these players to be the best version of themselves and uh, when it comes down to the wire, they really dig deep and play for one another. And I know that this seems 
somewhat corny perhaps to maybe some people listening, but the culture component that Sean McDermott has built after having multiple off seasons now to get his guys, you know, really figure out the guys he didn't want in the building to get the guys that he does want in the building and have them start to buy in. I think that as much as anything is the reason why the bills have played 10 games so far this year and won seven of them. So Broncos fans, I just want you to listen to exactly what Joe had just said right there when it comes to the Sean McDermott culture and players loving each other. Sounds very familiar for what the Broncos are experiencing right now. So Broncos fans, take it from Joe. That approach has been good for the Bills. Now, Joe, I want to ask you about Josh Allen here because last year as a rookie, a lot of people, when the Bills had selected him, were saying that this is guy's going to be a bust in the NFL. You know, granted, he went through some rookie struggles. I think the highlight of his rookie season was going in and beating Minnesota and hurtling Anthony Barr. I mean, that was a great, great kind of play from him, and we've seen exactly what this guy can do. He's got a big arm. We know about the big arm, but he's proven to have some moxie this season, as you mentioned, with leading some game-winning drives, come from behind victories. He looks as if he's grown drastically from rookie year to now, uh, you know, through the, the first 10 games of this season. What is your analysis on him in terms of the next step that he's taken overall to maybe evolve in this game where, you know, the position of quarterback seems to be changing every single year? Josh Allen's not a perfect quarterback, but there's been nothing but growth since he's stepped on to the football field uh, halftime of week one in 20, uh, 2018 when he stepped on and replaced Nathan Peterman. And um, it's it's one of those deals where he was extremely raw coming out of Wyoming. His tools, his athletic profile, his arm talent, all exceptional, but a very raw football player. And he started off really, really rough. And Throughout the course of his rookie season, he grew and grew and grew, and he got injured and uh, came back, and you really saw a pretty dynamic player uh, towards the end of, of last year. And then coming into this year was all about taking steps, becoming a more complete quarterback, challenging the short to intermediate areas of the field, ball security, those types of things. And what we've seen Josh now start to do is start to put together some of those big play dynamic moments from last season, his rookie year, and couple it with the efficiency that we've seen this year. He's been one of the best intermediate passers in football this year. That's not something I think anyone expected when they watched his college tape. And so it's about putting this all together to be a complete quarterback, but also taking care of the football, which has been really the story. I think he's five games in a row now without throwing an interception, and he's really taking care of the football, not turning it over. And uh, that's been a big difference for a team with a really good defense, uh, just not putting them in bad positions. And so Josh is not a guy that's been hitting deep throws despite having an absolute cannon for a right arm, but uh, he's been an efficient quarterback. He's really good in the red zone, one of the best in the league. He plays pretty good situational football, and uh, he's he's really presents a lot of challenges because he's so big and strong and athletic uh, and, and can make plays outside of structure. But now that he can really win from the pocket as an intermediate passer, it's created another layer. He needs to continue to, to, to grow. He needs to be more consistent with his deep throws. He needs to continue to prove that he's not going to turn over the football. But I like how he's kind of piecing it all together right now and given given the Bills fans and obviously the, the organization a lot of hope and belief that they've got their guy. And speaking of the passing game with Josh Allen's coming, Kirk Cousins and the Vikings, they had success against Denver through the air in the second half with a quick passing game. You know, taking a look at this matchup, we talked about Chris Harris Jr. a little bit earlier. We talked about, you know, having John Brown and maybe even Cole Beasley there. But which receiving matchups do you believe the Bills may have an advantage of over the Broncos when it comes to their inexperience at the other corner position or maybe in other areas of the field? You know, how do you think this Josh Allen, you know, Frank Gore and, and the offense are going to attack this Broncos defense? 
I, I like the, a lot of this personnel that Denver has on defense. And, you know, you get concerned where John Brown is, is really been an important player. And, and Chris Harris is the type of corner that I think, as I mentioned already, stacks up very favorably to him. And uh, it's going to be interesting. I think one thing we've learned about the Bills and their offensive identity is that they don't have an offensive identity. Their identity is that they're willing to be different every single week based on what they feel is the best ways to attack opponents. And uh, it's something that I keep going back to this quote by Zach Taylor. The Bills played Cincinnati in week three. Their week one opponent was Seattle. Their week two opponent was San Francisco. It may be the other way around, but San Francisco and Seattle the first two games. And Zach Taylor was asked what was difficult or more challenging about facing Buffalo on offense than his previous two opponents. And he said it's because – they're willing to do whatever it takes to win, whereas Seattle and San Francisco, they're going to be what they're going to be, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. This is a team that is going to give you a ton of different formations. They're different week to week. Uh, they'll be run heavy one week. They'll be pass heavy another week. There'll be weeks where they won't run play action at all. There'll be other weeks where they run a ton of play action. And so I think uh, it's just truly an offense that evolves. Now, I think with that comes a lot of inconsistency, and I think that's why the Bills have not been a great scoring offense this year. Uh, but the the bottom line is I think they're really difficult to prepare for because they challenge you in so many different ways. But really, this this offense is humming when Josh Allen can – can remain upright and, and, you know, have time to throw. And of course, when the running game's going and we've seen that work at times and it flutter at times, but the the challenging thing about this bill's offense and really being predictive about what it's going to do is that it's different every week. I think that's definitely a surprise too. I mean, it's not a bad idea when you can be a different team every single week. I mean, it's just adapting to whoever your opponent is. And and really, when you look at the Bills games, they've been able to do that. It almost makes it intriguing to see how they're going to stack up against New England and some of the future matchups coming up in this division. Uh, You know, one thing I want to talk about here, kind of a two-part question, you know, both Denver and Buffalo. I mean, Denver's ranked fourth in total defense. Buffalo's the number three ranked defense in the National Football League. They come into this matchup as two top five defenses. What do you think we can expect to see from Buffalo defensively, maybe against Denver's rushing attack, and uh, more than likely also as well, you know, it's kind of a flip question. How can the Bills attempt to maybe neutralize the defensive threat that is Von Miller and the Broncos when they like to blitz aggressively, considering the fact that the Bills are dealing with some injuries on that offensive line? Yeah, I, well, let me start there. I have great concern about Von Miller. I, everybody does, right? But uh, when your 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 best right tackle, Ty Inseki, he left the game on Sunday, uh, carted off in an air cast on his ankle. Sean McDermott didn't give us any information on his Monday press conference, which is pretty typical. Uh, but I would not anticipate him being available, which puts Cody Ford as the right tackle. And he's played a ton this year, but they rotate, which is really unique situation. But Cody Ford struggles with speed off the edge. And, well, okay, here's the best speed rusher of our era in Von Miller that you have to deal with this week. So, you know, the Bills are going to have to get creative in helping Cody Ford. Slide protections, chipping with tight ends, maybe using Lee Smith as that sixth uh, tight, uh, sixth offensive lineman, uh, just doing things to, to neutralize that. That's going to be a big, big deal for for. Uh, this Bills offense this week. But um, when you think about this Bills defense, this top five Bills defense, really good scoring defense, they've been really challenged in recent weeks to stop the run. Now, they did a great job against Miami, held them to, I think, 23 yards on 12 rushes, but the Bills were ahead all game. They passed the ball 50 times. Miami's offense did. And, you know, they had Kalen Balazs and a bunch of undrafted players as their offensive line. You better be able to slow down the Miami Dolphins' rushing attack. And, you know, they got they got worked by Cleveland, 
Uh, Adrian Peterson ran all over them. The Eagles had their way over 200 rushing yards. So the Bills' rush defense has been very suspect in recent weeks. And I can guarantee you that Denver is going to want to uh, challenge this Bills' rushing defense and see if they've got it right because – I don't know how much we can glean from this performance against Miami. And from the Bills' perspective, I think you have to gear up and you have to load up and try to stop the run. I think, I'm thinking Denver believes a ball control and keep the game close will probably be their best chance to win uh, and also try to attack a, a deficiency that Buffalo has. And from the Buffalo perspective, I guess you, you probably live with the results. If you, if you focus in on taking away that, uh, that, you know, that, that rushing attack of Lindsay and Freeman or for, yeah, Freeman, you, you can maybe live with the results with a really good secondary against Brandon Allen. I mean, that's gotta be your perspective going into it. And if, if Brandon Allen picks you apart, and you lose the football game because of that, I guess you can live with it as opposed to just getting gashed in the run game. So I think there'll be a big emphasis for Buffalo to force Brandon Allen to be the reason why Denver has success on offense. And uh, it'll be a good good test for the Bills because they've got a challenging schedule coming up. I know they're 7-3, and three, but uh, the schedule stiffens up here. And this feels like a game Buffalo has to have going into a challenging stretch of games and part of being able to win some games that maybe people think they won't be able to here in the next few weeks is being able to stop the run. So this is going to be a good test and uh, an important one for Buffalo to prove they can shut down a, a potent rushing attack. It's going to be a fun challenge to watch. Obviously, an early time zone game. We know historically the Broncos have struggled with those 11 a.m. mountain time starts, especially when they're playing on the Eastern Conference part of the, the whole entire schedule. So a tough matchup on the road. Buffalo Bills, Bills Mafia, one of the loudest fan bases in the National Football League. One of the craziest, but also one of the nicest as well. So that's one of the cool things. If you know, you're know you a Broncos fan out there in Buffalo, you know, ask them to put you through a table just for fun. I mean, it's something you got to do on your bucket list. Uh, but yeah, the 3-7 and seven Broncos on the road against the 7-3 Buffalo Bills AFC West versus AFC East matchup. Joe Marino, host of the Lockdown Bills podcast, and obviously Cody Work here from Lockdown Broncos, breaking down this matchup. And Joe, thank you so much for all the insight, especially when it comes to the Bills and everything you got going on with the Draft Network. You do a lot of great work over there, you and the guys, and uh, looking forward to this matchup, man. And uh, you know, I think it's going to be a fun one for all the fans of both teams. I think it's going to be a defensive battle. Yeah, yeah. If you if you like points, this may not be the game for you, but uh some really good, really, really good one on one matchups here. I mean, even thinking about Noah Fant versus the Bills safety tandem of Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and uh, you know, how does this offensive line stack up against Avon Miller? It's so many intriguing storylines and um you know, uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll we'll see what happens. Uh, the Bills, I mean, at home, they feel like they probably should win this game, and you know, Denver's not going to roll over and let that happen. Certainly going to be a fun matchup. Physical, I could already imagine the fact that the rushing attacks for both Frank Gore, Phil Lindsay, Royce Freeman. I think it's going to be a fun style of football to watch. And obviously, you can catch all the action this Sunday. Broncos on the road at the Bills. And you guys can follow Joe Marino on Twitter. And you guys can also follow along here as well. Be sure to check out Locked On Bills wherever you get your podcasts alongside Locked On Broncos on your favorite podcast providers. Joe, thanks so much, my man. This was fun. Absolutely. Thanks, Cody.